during this this time together, living in this uh, web of relationship, gathered together on this particular vessel. We've had the opportunity to explore the nature of looking inwards and developing the, the quality of, of insight. Exploring the fabric of this mind, this field of experience, experiencing. Reflecting upon the nature of, of experience, how experiencing works, and this mysterious quality of anatta or not-self slowly becomes a bit more understandable, meaningful. When we hear the sound of a, a bird or a plane flying overhead, it's not particularly difficult to to not have a sense of ownership of that. Sort of the feeling of I own the sound of the bird or the plane. I own that sound of somebody coughing across the room or the door opening and closing. There's a feeling of I hear it, but we don't feel like it belongs to us or it's very personal. We don't have an emotional connection to a plane flying into Luton Airport. So that's not too difficult to see the selfless nature of, of that hearing. And then a feeling in the body, a sensation, an ache in our back, several aches in our back, a pain in the knee, definitely feels like I'm experiencing that, and that's my knee, my back. But in a similar way, when that's explored, as insight deepens, there can be those moments of revelation, of clear, clear knowing, clear awareness. Oh, that feeling of minus is just added on to the experience of pain arising, abiding, passing away. That feeling of ownership is just another mental impression, like the sound or the pain or a thought. Wow. We begin to recognize the selfless nature of the realm of feeling. But then thought, my story, my memories, my ideas, my emotions, they seem a lot more personal. 
Okay, sound is not self. Feeling is not self. Those kind of perceptions are not self, but this story is mine. This is me. This is my narrative. My history, my memories. But as insight deepens, that's explored as well. This thought, this memory, this idea. The selfless nature of that can also be revealed, experienced. Remembering our story is simply remembering an image from the past, what I did, what I felt. It's a mental image, arises, passes away. An emotion, nostalgia, resentment, fear, excitement. As they're looked at and explored, the empty nature of the object is just a pattern of perception, pattern of consciousness. It arises abides for a while and passes away. Similarly, the, the nature of the subject, the feeling of I who remembers, I who thinks, I who plans, that I the doer, I the experiencer, here and there, now and then, is revealed as completely empty, void, like the lump of foam or a water bubble, mirage, like the layers of the onion or the, the conjuring trick, empty, void of substance. So it's as if we're digging down layer upon layer, deeper and deeper, through perceptions, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and then feelings in the body, thoughts, emotions. Deeper and deeper, the things that seem more personal, more totally who and what I am. But even when the nature of emotion, ideas, memories, thoughts, are recognized as empty of self, what belongs to a self. Then we get to decision-making. Choosing. It definitely feels like somebody is deciding here. Even if these thoughts are not self, these emotions are not self, somebody seems to be making a choice. Someone says, go this way, don't go that way feels like a person, feels like an I who decides. So digging even deeper into that, what happens when a decision is being made? Is it really an I, a me, who is doing the deciding, the choosing, the intending and the acting, 
What's here? What's the fabric of a decision? And when it's explored, the mind is aware of a, a situation coming to a crossroads. There's perception, perceiving possibilities, left, right, straight ahead. So there's perception, then there's memory, remembering what your plan was. Memory of, I have a need to go to the M25. So there's perception and memory. Then that memory, I need to go to the M25, maps on to the perception, intelligence is engaged. And then the idea arises, turn right. So in all of this, the perception of the crossroads, the memory of the plan, the intelligence of putting it together, the idea, the thought, go right. And then with the thought, go right, then the hands and arms move, turn the steering wheel to the right. A perception is not self, memory is not self. Thinking is not self. Physical action is not self. So there we are, driving to the south, heading towards the M25. Someone seems to have decided when they got to the crossroads, turn right. It looks like I chose to go right. But when it's separated out into its constituent parts, that me choosing is only a seeming, it's an apparent reality. In each of the elements, no self, no I, no me, no mine can be found. So even decision-making is not self. It might look like there's a me deciding, a me choosing and doing, but right at its very core, once again, there's no person. It's just mind, awake to the present. When there's a, a strong influence of avicca, not seeing clearly, then those choices will be guided by desire, craving, compulsion, by fear, by aversion, by unconscious habit. Those apparent choices will be guided by me chasing after what I like, me running away from what I 
I am afraid of, me opposing and attacking what I don't like. Reactive, conflicted, afflicted. But if there's vicha, there is awakened awareness, then those choices are simply guided by mindfulness and wisdom, satipanya, attunement to the time, the place, the situation. There's no self involved. It's not me wanting to get what I want, me who's got to achieve the desired, me who's afraid of failing, me dreading not getting what I want. But rather, as this looks like a good way forward, let's try this, see what happens. If it works, we don't get drunk on it. If it doesn't work, then we recognize, okay, that road is closed, doesn't go where I want to go. Fine, let's take a detour. So when decision-making is guided by mindfulness and wisdom, the heart is freed from being imprisoned by the, the traumas of success and failure. Longing for success, fearing failure, desperate for approval, fear of criticism. Rather we do what we do and let the world make of it what it will. Sometimes when we succeed, that can lead us to a situation that then causes all kinds of trouble. Sometimes when we so-called fail, things go wrong, fall apart, can provide opportunities that are absolutely unique, precious, wonderful. can learn deeply significant lessons when everything falls apart, you get sick or Things go wrong. So when we learn to act and choose, make decisions from mindfulness and wisdom rather than from self-view, from blind habit, there's a great freedom. When there's success and things go well, you can enjoy it, but not take it as a personal achievement, not wear it like a big prize carry it around or get drunk on it. It's just a sweet taste of things going well. Things go badly, you get fired, it falls apart. You take the wrong turn. You learn from that. It's a bitter taste, so it's just a taste. Don't have to take it personally. What will they think? I got it wrong. I've been unfriended. lost the election. So, <laughs> just a bitter taste, that's all. We don't have to take it personally. So an action is guided by mindfulness and wisdom rather than self-view as a, a tremendous spaciousness a liberality in the heart, a freedom. 
we're not imprisoned either by the the longing for success or the fear of failure. Instead, we're guided by what brings benefit to ourselves, to others, that we cherish and nurture, maintain. That which causes difficulty and struggle, pain for ourselves and others, that we let go of. We leave alone. We don't strengthen. So we're guided by right effort. Samavayamo rather than by the desire to become, the desire to get rid of, the desire to be or the desire to not be. Bhavatana, vi bhavatana. So we talk about it in terms of being guided by right effort, so restraining the unwholesome from arising, or if it's arisen, letting it go, abandoning it, or cultivating the wholesome, bringing it into being, and then when the wholesome has happened, maintaining it. But even this can sound like a kind of mechanistic process. But essentially, right effort is is not a, a mechanical, rational, heartless process, but rather it's is heartful. In a way, it's heartfulness itself. The heart attuned to the present reality and responding. It's a self-adjusting system, a self-adjusting universe. Just as when we're, we're sitting, sitting in meditation, and then the attention has wandered, and we suddenly realize we've dozed off. The mind has become sleepy and the, the body is slumped over. Now when we react, we think, oh, fallen asleep, tighten up, straighten up, sit up. The Ajahn will <coughs> see me drooping, hear me snoring. Eek! What will they think? Am I dribbling? The mysterious they who spend their lives judging our actions. So then it's me who's got to sit up straight. Me who should be awake. Me who needs to meditate properly. That's suffering right there. Instead, in that moment of recognition of, oh, my chin is on my chest. My breathing is surprisingly slow and even, seems like I dropped off. So then just bringing awareness to that slumped posture. Don't do anything. Just let awareness have its effect. You do this as an experiment. So before you try to, to do anything as the, the meditator, the agent, the doer. Just let awareness be brought to bear on the posture. Let that slumped nature, that quality, be fully known. And lo and behold, 
you find the, the back straightening on its own. You're not doing anything. The system is adjusting. The universe adjusts, guided by mindfulness and wisdom. That awakened awareness has its own effect. The body straightens without it being me sitting up straight. The body straightens, finds a perfect, balanced, easeful posture. Not because I've done something, but because awareness has had its natural effect. It's a self-adjusting system. So attention needs to be paid, there needs to be awareness, that's the guiding force, or the guiding presence. But if that's there, then what we call decisions, or me doing something, is guided in a selfless way. Right effort is enacted without there being a me who's practicing right effort and remembering those four things. Sangvara, Pahana, Bhavana, and eh, what was the fourth one? Oh yes, Anurakana, right. It's not a mechanistic process, but a natural attunement. Similarly, if the body is tense and tight, in the meditation you realize you've been completely wrapped up in you know, worry about not having confirmed your flight. Jaw is clenched. Your neck is a solid block of concrete. And you realize, oh, wait a minute. Wait, what's going on here? I'm super tense. And again, without there being the me, I should relax. I'm too tense. I'm too tense. Relax, relax. Be at ease. Right, right, right. Lighten up. Lighten up. Instead, just bring attention, awareness, to that tense, rigid, clenched quality. Don't do anything. Just let the awareness have its effect. And like the sun evaporating the dew in the morning, opening up the daisies, they close up at night, when the sun appears, they open. It's a natural response. The dew doesn't have to decide whether it's going to evaporate or not. The daisy doesn't decide whether it's going to open or not. There's enough sun, it opens. It evaporates. That's what happens. So bringing awareness to that rigid neck and the clenched jaw, watch the effect of that. Find the shoulders softening, dropping. Tension in the jaw, in the mouth, loosens. I'm not doing anything. It's the natural effect of awareness itself. Now we can see this process, this self-adjusting system, function 
in the meditation, in the posture. But our whole life can be run in exactly the same way. The whole thing. Business decisions, handling family crises, wedding planning, funeral planning, getting to the airport, can all be run in exactly the same way. It's a self-adjusting system. No I or me or mine is really necessary. But you don't have to take my word for it. We can explore. See how this operates. See the benefits for ourselves.